This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Jimmy Conrad is a former U.S. men's national team and MLS player. His playing career was a bit unconventional, including being snubbed after winning a national championship with UCLA, and then later his debut with the national team at age 28. But that conventional theme has followed Jimmy into his post-playing career and his current role in American soccer media today. In this interview, Jimmy discusses why he fired his agent, who happened to be one of the most powerful people in American soccer, and what that did for his career. He also discusses what he and other former national team players talk about when they get together, or what they don't talk about when they get together. And he also shares his thoughts on promotion and relegation here in America. You can connect with Jimmy on social media and get daily doses of his content on multiple platforms, including Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. Links to all those are available on 343coaching.com. And during this interview, Jimmy mentions that he was fired from an MLS-owned media outlet for wanting to produce content about promotion relegation. Obviously, the content never saw the light of day, and I think that says a lot. So I'm hoping that conversations like this with people like Jimmy help to educate fans of American soccer about the American soccer system the people that are benefiting from it, and the players, coaches, clubs, and communities that are suffering because of the way the system is set up. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. This episode is brought to you by 343's Premium Coaching Membership Program. It is designed by proven practitioners to deliver high-quality soccer coaching education for an affordable price. The Premium Membership Program delivers a powerful learning experience by using real training and real match footage to help you see what teaching possession soccer should actually look like. You also get audio lessons, ebooks, Q&A sessions, and exclusive members-only forums to network with other coaching members. This program is a comprehensive, all-access look at the proven 343 methodology and the teams and the players that it has helped create. This is your chance to see, hear, and learn exactly how this methodology powered multiple teams to the Development Academy Finals. And you get a chance to see how multiple professional and national team caliber players like Efra Alvarez, Alex Mendez, Ulianez, Leo Sepulveda, Jorge Hernandez, Kobe Hernandez, and Zico Bailey were developed. You get to see everything. So if you're an ambitious coach, and if you want more from your teams, And if you want to start developing legit players, and if you are ready to start getting the results that you've always wanted while playing attractive, possession-based, attacking soccer, this is the program for you. To sign up and start learning today, you can visit 343coaching.com. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Please enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Jimmy Conrad. Hello. Hey, John. What's up? Jimmy Conrad. Hey, what's going on, dude? How are you? I'm all right. 
Just right on. Getting settled on in for this interview. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm double dipping. I'm gonna I'm gonna admit it right now. I have the IX game on. So. Oh yeah, that's fair. Yeah. As as one does. I just missed the starting lineup. Though. I don't know if is Sergio Des starting. I can't. Yep, looks like he is. I think I see him. Yeah. That's badass. Which is good. Yeah. Good for everybody. Yeah. It's good for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. Well, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you for. Uh, no problem, man. Thank you no for problem. agreeing to this. Um, oh yeah, it's it's all good. I love to talk. I love to chat. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you've uh, I'm sure you've seen some of the jabs that I've thrown your way over the years. So I, it, oh, that doesn't phase me. <laughs> you know, I don't like. It is what it is. People like on on Twitter, social media, they don't really know who I am for the most part. You can, you know, there's there's certain things that I speak about that, of course, if I make a comment, then there's going to be a reaction to it, either positive or negative, and that just comes with the territory. So. Um, but it is fun to see. I mean, you got you got Stu Holden in your target uh, in, your, in your sniper scope right now, which is pretty funny. Yeah, I know. has he not responded to you ever? No, uh, I take that back. He has, um, and I don't know why he's not now. I mean, a simple response would would probably end all of this. But uh, sure. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where maybe the future... he blocked you and he's just not seen it anymore. I think he I muted. I'm, I'm almost positive he has me muted. Just like I have, you know, hundreds of people muted. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for that, sure. That are that are exactly like me. What I'm doing to Stu. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all good. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah, but I, I, I mean, I, I am interested in in talking to you about some of your your experiences and 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 you you kind of just hinted at like people don't know the real you or why you do what you do or say what you say or, or, sure. or those types of things. So I, I, and people have messaged me personally. And, uh, after I've thrown a jab at you and said, Hey, like you don't know why, why this guy isn't talking about this or you don't know what this guy really does. And so that's kind of what prompted me to, to first reach out to you a while ago and ask if you wanted to, to have a conversation. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of the reason behind it. And then obviously, because like you just mentioned, uh, I have a hard on for Stu at the moment and, and you just did some, <laughs> you just did some work with him. So I'm curious about what the relationship is like there. And, and obviously I want to talk about your, your, your work with San Francisco Glens and sure. how, I see that as, you know, uh, not, not on level terms as, as, as his investment with, uh, my orca, even though I want, you know, the best and I, and I want those opportunities for, for Glenn's as well. So that's kind of just everything that's bouncing yeah, sure. around in my head at the moment. So yeah, no problem. Cool. Um, all right, ready, go. <laughs> uh, uh, that's, that's how I live, dude. <laughs> I'm, I have to be on in a moment's notice all the time. So yeah. Uh, it's not a yeah. I'm used to that. Quick, uh, just maybe a quick introduction for for people that don't know who you are. Um, just uh, just just real brief, and then and then we'll just we'll get into it. Sure. Uh, my name is Jimmy Conrad. Uh, my tagline is I'm your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player. Uh, that is my running joke, and I'm not going to let it go ever. <laughs> I uh, grew up grew up in Southern California which I thought was a benefit because you got to play year round. And as I got into the national team, we could have these great battles where it was all these kids from California versus everybody else from around the country. And we would win um, Southern California. I wouldn't even have to throw Northern California in there. So there's such a, a huge amount of talent in that area. I'm sure we can talk about that moving forward, but I uh, was a little engine that could, I didn't get recruited into college. I walked on and I won the national championship at UCLA so I thought, oh, great, I'm going to get uh, my senior year. And I thought I was going to get drafted into MLS. MLS was three years old at that point. And the other four seniors did get drafted, and I didn't. So, okay, I had to figure out what to do. I went down and played in the A-League at the time for San Diego, and I fought my way and basically walked on into MLS. So I have a very uh, consistent theme. 
in my career. I played the San Jose Earthquakes for four years, got traded to Kansas City and played eight years there. Uh, during that time, I got called into the national team. Uh, my first cap was at age 28, which is very old. Got to play in the World Cup the following year, uh, playing the Copa America. Big, big, exciting times. Scored one goal for the national team against our big rivals, which I'll never let anybody forget. And um, yeah, then I, you know, I finished it out. I had to retire due to concussions. And now I've uh, slotted into the media stuff. Now, I don't do traditional media. I do non-traditional social media stuff, new media, like they call it. And I try to make my impact uh, on those platforms. And it's been a lot of fun. And to my knowledge, you've, you're have you kind of like self-built on the media side as well. Kind of like you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so describe, d- describe your experience of getting, getting into soccer media and why you chose to, to build what you've built. Yeah, that's a great question. When I was playing, I used to write a column for Sports Illustrated and then ESPN for many years. And it was really good for me to learn how to craft an opinion especially pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, where you had to figure out who you were and what you were about, but there wasn't a comment section. You know, there wasn't a place for people. They just had to read it, consume it, and then maybe talk amongst themselves. They didn't have this bigger platform to basically tear me a new one if they wanted to. So that was a, a, nice, a nice safe area to kind of grow and, and to learn how to form an opinion and be careful in some ways about what you said and how it could impact the people around you. Because if I'm talking about something personal that's inside the locker room, which is what people want to read about, I also have to be considerate of the people that are fighting that fight with me in the trenches and not to maybe hurt their feelings in a way. Um, so that was good. That was good for me. And then on top of that, I had, did a radio show locally for Kansas City, and it was hard. The hard part was it was live. It was in front of a studio audience, and if we lost the week before. People wanted answers, and they'd come into the restaurant to hear me answer why we weren't playing well. And that was another good uh, – in terms of forming me as a media pundit, it was very, very good for me. Uh, and so I had all this kind of backbone of immediate experience. So when I retired, I got an email from IMG, which is a big giant agency, 45 minutes after I announced my retirement saying they wanted to represent me. So they clearly had identified me as somebody to watch in the soccer space. But the problem was I would go do the studio stuff like you guys see now with Fox and all that. And they would be in my ear. And it's really weird to have people talking in your ear when you're about to talk yourself. And that's the skill in, in, in itself. And I've gotten a lot better at that. But they say, hey, listen, you got 15 seconds to talk about why Liverpool won. You're like, wait, wait, 15 seconds? You know, at that time, Fernando Torres was banging in the goals for Liverpool. And you're like, yeah, Fernando Torres is really good. Okay, great. Let's move on to Alexi, you know? And so it just, it didn't feel like I could ever really have a conversation or really be true to myself. So an opportunity presented it, uh, came to me, let's say it like that. And I had a chance to go to New York and start a YouTube channel from scratch called Kick TV. I was the face of the channel for many years. We got to a million subscribers. And from there, a lot of opportunities blossomed and I was allowed to kind of really showcase my personality in a way that I thought uh, best fit who I was and what I was about. And it's really just grown from there. And I've learned a ton, taught myself how to produce and edit. Um, you know, I don't have an agent. I just talked to all the brands that I work with themselves. Like there's no middleman. And I love that too, because I didn't really have a great agent relationship when I was a player and just taking everything and all the disciplines that I've learned along the way, even as a player and apply them to what I do now. And it's, it seems to work out. It's fascinating to me. You said you didn't have a good agent experience and, and now, you know, post-career, you're, you're kind of living like this life of freedom where, you, where you're able to kind of say and do whatever you want without the restriction of having to go through that middleman or that, that agent. Um, what, what was the experience like as a player? Like what, what was undesirable about, about that? What left a bad taste in your mouth? I think ultimately it's because you put your trust in these agents. You think they're working on your behalf when they're working to put food on their table as well. So 
I made $24,000 my rookie year. You know, what, what do they get? 5% of that is nothing, you know? So they're going to go to their cash cows. They're going to give all their attention to their cash cows. And that makes sense to me. But then don't sign me in the first place. You know, let, let me find somebody that fits a little bit more, who's hungry and can be scrappy as an agent. That would have been better for me to have. Um, and, and so I relied on these guys to always have my best interest. And I had to fire one of them because they lied to my face. At the World Cup, this is a great story. At the World Cup prior to in 2006, all the players that were being represented, and I don't mind saying his name, Richard Motskin, he, he – he got all of them to sign a, cause he was moving from his own personal thing to Wasserman media agency or whatever, WMG, a Wasserman media group. So he needed to get everybody to go along. Well, I'd been with him from, from the very beginning. So he just assumed that I would, I, I didn't need to sign the sheet, but after the world cup, he said that, uh, or during, before the world cup, he said that if I played and played well, that he would get me a, a potential opportunity to go to Europe, which I was interested at that point. I had put in, let's see how many, almost 10 years in MLS, no, like seven or eight years in MLS. So it was, you know, to try something different would have been nice, even though I was getting close to 30, which isn't going to be uh, that tasty, I think, to European suitors. But <laughs> anyway, I wanted to I wanted to at least explore the opportunity. So I went and played in the World Cup. I held my own. I thought I played well enough to warrant some consideration. And I got back, and I was so eager to get home to talk to him about, hey, man, I played well, and I got to play. It was amazing. And, and he didn't do anything. He didn't expect me to play. And I had to fire him, man. I was in tears and uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't work with him anymore because he didn't follow through on what he said and follow through is really important. And, uh, and, and so I went to another agent and, you know, they got some opportunities for me. I was so close to going to Hanover with Steve Chirundolo and that fell through in the last day of the transfer window. And I was pretty gutted because I think the Bundesliga mid-table team at that time in the Bundesliga would have been a nice fit for me and it would have been a great life experience. So it is what it is. Uh, you know, I parlayed that into a little bit of leverage to get a better MLS contract if I was going to stay here. And, and uh, you know, you just got to do what you got to do in certain situations. It, it's a shame I was a bit of a late bloomer, but it all worked out the way it should. Having having had those experiences as a player, how how has that helped you with what you're doing now with San Francisco Glens and, and working with players and coaches and, and organizations? Has that shaped the way that you that you handle your business? Yeah, no question. Uh, like I said before, follow through is really important. So if you're going to say you're going to do something, you need to do it. And if you're not, then your communication needs to be very clear. And that's uh, been a, I try to make it a hallmark of, of who I am and what I'm about with regard to reputation and what I work, you know, and what I do behind the scenes. You know, I try to be a good professional in all ways. You know, I'm not going to get it right every single time, but it's not due to a lack of trying. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, all of that stuff has shaped me. It's shaped me in terms of how I, I deal with people. It's, it shapes me in how I deal with adversity. It allows me to have a lot of confidence uh, in adversity because I know that I've, I've worked through it before and I can do it again. And, you know, I just want to make sure that I don't get treated or I don't treat other people the way that I was treated in certain situations. And you obviously have the the unique experience of being in the national team, being at the World Cup, being inside of major league soccer uh, both as as a player and and now um as a media member mm -hmm. and, and you have like this unique perspective and you also have the the ability like you just did a, a moment ago to kind of speak a little bit more openly or freely about some of this stuff and so that th that is kind of where i i, I want to go maybe sure. for, for the next i don't know 
10 minutes or so with this conversation is, is how, how do you see the state of major league soccer, U S soccer, the relationships between the two? Is it good, bad for the country? I mean, there's a million different ways that we could go, but, <laughs> but um, maybe, maybe just kind of just like general comment fr- from you about the, the state of things right now. And then, and then maybe we can dive into some specifics. Sure. I mean, for me, it, it feels like at times we're a bit rudderless that, we don't necessarily know where to push and where to go into. I think given my experience with the national team program and at MLS, there are a lot of good people that are trying to do the right things. And sometimes when they get blamed and are blanket, like this generalization of all these people are, you know, not doing the right things or not trying to do the right things. That makes, that bums me out a little bit because I know there are a lot of people, but there are, but there are some of the decision makers that are making decisions for whatever reasons. You know, uh, I have a lot of respect for Don Garber, and, and I'd like to think that's mutual. But his base, you know, his his how he grew up and how he saw sports and how you develop sports uh, in a country is very NFL-like. That's what he knows, and so we're seeing that. And I wrote an article in 2009 when I was still a player about how MLS is going to grow, or how they should grow, or how the, where is this going to all go? I tried to look at a crystal ball and predict where everything was going to go. And if you read it now, you're like, damn, I wasn't too far off as to where things are going, where I think they're going to try to get to 30, 30 plus teams. Maybe they break it off into MLS, MLS 1, MLS 2, and have that promotion relegation in between there where they still control pretty much everything. I think, I think uh, and I'm going to go off on tangents here. You can just pick and choose which one you want to get into. But I think what is most frustrating for me, having lived it and now in some ways on the outside, because I don't work specifically for MLS anymore, is what are we doing? Where, where are we going? What are we trying to work towards? At the single entity structure, I think we can all appreciate why it was put in place in the first place to help provide some sustainability, even though the, the league almost folded back in, I don't know, 2002, 2003, got down to 10 teams. It just wasn't a good look. And so we could argue, you could maybe argue otherwise, that that sustainability or having that model kept it afloat. And you obviously had three committed owners at the time that kind of saw it through some of its weak points and now are, you know, a nice, a nice league where everybody has their own team and, and stadiums are being built. And that's great. Now what happens? Cause I feel like the single entity structure needed to mature, needed to evolve into a point where like, okay, it's done its job. Thank you very much. Now it's next. What are we going to put in place where every single city in this country feels like they're part of the same thing? Now I did a big video, which never got released by the way, about promotion relegation yeah, which ultimately led to, I think, uh, led to me being relieved of my duties um, from the, the MLS-owned um, YouTube channel that I was working on. But it really spoke to certain things, and it was great. It was very Daily Show-esque and super funny, and I think everybody would enjoy it, except for the people that don't want promotional allegation, I guess, in some ways, or aren't ready to, to face up to the fact that we're, maybe we're ready for that. But what I, I went to Chattanooga and, and went there and talked to the mayor. I talked to the people that run the team, and it was really fun. And... Um, it just felt like when I went through that experience, these people here in Chattanooga, they don't feel like they're part of MLS. There's, there's no, even if, even if there was, and we're all on the same page and there's promotion relegation and all that, at least they feel like they had a chance to get to the top division, but right now they don't. And they're not a part of the equation. And it feels like they're on the outside looking in when I feel like this game isn't about that, right? This game is about being inclusive, not exclusive. And so I think that's what maybe rubs people the wrong way, myself included. Like, why, why can't we include everybody? Why, why, does, why do we have to make this so hard? And uh, that, that's what frustrates me. 
uh, in, a, in a lot of ways that there isn't this end game. What are we working towards? And I just feel like there should be, hey, thank you very much, single entity structure. Now we're going to move on to phase two of this project, which is trying to implement ways so that everybody can be included. Uh, you're talking about something obviously that's uh, um, on my mind every single day when I wake up. Sure. I think that... Um yeah, that's that's exactly why I have so many goes at, at Stu and 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 I love I I love I absolutely love that he invested in 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 something like Mallorca and 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 you know a, a, a true soccer um, system uh, mm-hmm. the the way that it's supposed to be I I love that I absolutely love mm-hmm. that and I, and I just want people to be able to do that here and and right. like the like the guys in Chattanooga. Um, like the guys in stockade, like the guys, all, uh, the people everywhere well, in the United States. That yeah, are, that even are the Glens. I mean, even the, even the USL league two team that I coach, the Glens or health coach with Javier Ayala, who's fantastic by the way. Exactly. Love that dude. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, when, when things like the, the last election come around and the athletes council is, has the spotlight on them and, and ultimately they, they choose to, to, you know, support the, the people that they supported and, 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 all of that, it just it just rubs people the wrong way. It leaves a lot mm-hmm. of questions to be answered, and nobody's willing to kind of to to answer the questions. I know that you're not on the athletes' council, but obviously, you have a relationship with somebody like Stuart Holden, and and, and I'm sure some of the other people that were involved as well. And so, a, a question that I have is, what are the conversations like between you and, and and former national team players or former or current MLS players and current current national team players? Are you guys having conversations like this? And are you guys, are you guys talking about what would be best for the future of American soccer and, and professional soccer here? Yeah, there was a time where, but during that time in particular, we can talk about the presidential election where there were some conversations that I had, they were still thinking through everything and, you know, we're very open to different types of opinions. And I thought that, we were going to name somebody that wasn't more of the same, frankly, um, based on the, the conversations that I had. Something I think, I guess, happened in that room that I can't speak to. I, I don't know for sure, but there seems to be, um, I don't know. They all seem to get on the same page about something, and I don't, I don't know exactly what that was. I never followed up on it, and, and maybe I should have. I don't consider myself a real journalist, uh, more <laughs> of just somebody that just, uh, you know, loves the game and wants the game to grow here. And I, I guess. In, under that context, then maybe I should have asked, but uh, I just thought I'd maybe wait to let some time pass. You know, I, I, I put Cord- Carlos Cordero on blast immediately after that he got named, um, showed a picture of him and Chuck Blazer just to say, hey man, it, it can't be more of this. It has to be something different. Now, I was friends with Chuck Blazer. I had no idea that, uh, super charming guy and I can get why he was so connected and, and uh, why people liked him. But I didn't realize the depth of his corruption and, and the depth of everything that was going on. I was kind of late to the being friends with Chuck Blazer game. But um, yeah, that, that's the, but that's something that needs to, to be eradicated. I don't know if it is completely just given the power that FIFA has in general. Um, but, but obviously we can work towards that. And I think you're trying to speak to a little bit of transparency. You know, we were promised transparency. You hear transparency a lot, whether it's with U.S. soccer presidential elections or just politicians in general. And then things get a little dicey and a little tight when, when other things, other factors come into play. And I don't know what those factors are, but I assume they, they squeezed the Athletes' Council, they squeezed some of the other voters, and, and we got Carlos Cadero. Now, from all intents and purposes, from what I understand, he's a good business guy, but, but he's not a soccer guy. And so they tried to put things in place right now to hire people to make soccer decisions, and that seems to have you know, led to, did we really do, you know, 
uh, did we really open up interviews for the national team job or was it always going to be Greg Berhalter? You know, are we, are we, what are we really doing? And that's the stuff that I think I would be most curious about. Like what are, what are these interview processes about? Is everybody getting a fair look? Are we really canvassing uh, the, the landscape here in this country to find and identify the right talent? I mean, I could go on and on about how I think our scouting and, and coaching here needs to improve tremendously. I think we have more than enough kids that want to play, that are eager to play, that watch it and consume it on a regular basis. You know, um, but now how do we foster those kids and and make sure that they're put in situations where they can succeed? Uh, that's that's going to be the next step. And I don't think that gets as much love and attention as I would like. And, and yeah, some of it's on MLS clubs themselves to take care of that. But even that runs into... You know, just coaching in general. I'm coaching my my youngest daughter just started yesterday. Her eight year old rec team. You know, and you're like, man, I see politics here at this little tiny eight <laughs> eight year old rec league. I mean, you know, you 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 extrapolate that, and it's just, yeah, it's insane sometimes. So I just wish it, maybe there's some way to regionalize some of this stuff. But again, it comes down to leadership. Comes down to being transparent, clear communication, trying to really come from a place of, hey, we're all just trying to make this better. And I think what helps drive or once it helps, but what drives a lot of the decision-making in this country is money. It's, it's money first, development second. And I don't think we're ever going to truly make a mark on the international scene until at least that gets balanced or it's really tilted the other way. It's funny you bring up eight-year-olds. Um, one, one of the more popular articles that has been published on, on our website, on 343, um, the, the blog that Gary Clyburn started, Oh man, ten years ago now. Um, mm-hmm. the The title of it is is in, the one policy that cripples American soccer all the way down to nine year olds. Because it, and you you hinted at there's politics in you know eight nine year old soccer, which is absolutely true. But you know the 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 lack of of a true proper soccer system uh, pyramid it, it cripples everything and and it, and it and it makes everything. Um, that much more difficult. So it makes the the balancing out part that much more mm-hmm. difficult when you there's no way to remove those people from from their positions at the top. There's no way to introduce new ideas uh, because nobody else is is being able is able to move up uh, this this pyramid that doesn't exist. And so you you get left, you get stuck with this closed off ring at the top of of the same people over and over and over and over again. And of course, the, those ideas are never going to change. It's always going to be money first for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's kind of how I see it. Um, and that's just the thought that popped in my head as you, as soon as you sure. talked about eight year olds, I was like, what, uh, this is what came to mind. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we speak about new blood and I'm glad you brought that up because I'm a big believer that the national team job should only be four year cycle and you're out. Like that should be it. Everybody knows the deal. Everybody knows what's at stake. You got four years and you're out. Now I benefited from Bruce Arena's second term. Um, you know, I was happy that he was the guy and I built, I built a very, uh, let's say loving relationship with Bruce uh, and mainly because he, I, he gave me a chance and I made the most of that chance. And now we have a strong relationship, but, but uh, I think overall that there should only be four year cycle. And we could argue that goes for a lot of the top positions in us soccer and MLS. And I think what ends up happening is once these guys get recycled through, I think they're more afraid of, I'm not going to be anybody anymore. Yep. I, I, I'm not going to have rel- a relevancy. Uh, yep. I'm, it, it's almost less about the money and it's more about the power. Yep. And, and that's a shame because I think that's really, honestly, that for me is what's holding uh, soccer back in this country more than anything else. And, yep. uh, and that's, that's unfortunate. So, you know, I think there were, or I wish there were some mandates in place that could just say, Hey, listen, this is a four year gig. You want in great. If you don't, 
that's fine too. We'll look for somebody else. And because as you mentioned, you know, it does seem like there was a lot of people that are in the same position for a long time and things grow stale. Also on top of that, you know, Sunil Galati ran unopposed for, I don't know, four or five terms. It's like yeah. something crazy. How is that possible? You know, and actually I got asked to run against him as a joke. This is kind of a joke. <laughs> and I did it. It was hilarious. You know, Rob Stone came on and gave me like this one minute, like fake ad. And it was amazing. We had a lot of fun doing it. But then in hindsight, I'm like, why don't you just run against the guy um, and just make him answer questions, hold him accountable uh, to certain things. And, and uh, you know, I know that, and I've seen you and, and 343 and, and uh, Gary, you know, you've taken good, healthy shots at the media and all that good stuff. And, and I appreciate you guys coming in. You're provocateurs, as I like to say. And, <laughs> and I think it's important to, you know, whether at the time, at times I'm like, man, that's super aggressive from you guys, but at least it forces people to think it through and to see both sides and say, Hey, listen, if they're swinging hard one way, this is, we're going to swing hard the other way. And, and hopefully there's some middle ground where we can all kind of compromise and continue to push this game forward. And I think that's healthy, man. I, I think it's unhealthy yeah, sure. to only have one to only have one side of the story be told over no and question. over and over again. So no question. In, in other in other healthy footballing nations, there's, uh, I mean, we we might even look tame in in, in, some, <laughs> other, in some other cultures. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So yeah. to, to us, this once is you just, travel around, once you travel around, and you get to hear more about how different cultures work and their leagues work and their national team work. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. There is a, there's a lot going on in all these other places, but at the end of the day, I think what, what really stands out about all the other countries around the world is just accountability. Like if you're not doing your job, they're going to, they're going to tear you from your chair and give yep. the job to somebody else. Yep. And, and I, and I, I think we need a little bit more of that. Yep. No, I, I, I agree. And again, that, that to me, my brain goes to something like promotion relegation. If you don't do your job, you don't have your job. That's yeah, and, and, yeah. and that's it. And it, and again, I think that that is healthy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that would only strengthen uh, American soccer and, and, and give us, I always use the word unleash. I think it, I, I maybe overuse that word, but I think it would unleash American soccer. I think right now we're for whatever reason uh, being kept on a leash and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's pointless in my opinion. Unleash us. I, I, uh, yeah. yeah, we're on we're on the same page about promotion relegation. I think it would benefit. I think there'd be some growing pains, of course, and you'd have some owners that have been around for a long time that would cry about it. But ultimately, they get on board. I think you'd have a lot more people in this country that would be a part of the conversation, like Chattanooga, like I mentioned before. Who, yeah, sure, they'd probably need some crazy oil money to get to the top flight, but at least they had the opportunity to get there if everything worked out perfectly. So. Yeah, it just tells for better stories. You create a, a, a much more rich, I think, history as you fight through the divisions and 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 more of the games matter. And ultimately, that's why people are going to care. I, I want to go back to a question I, I asked earlier. And, and did I dodge it? I no, must have dodged it. No, not <laughs> n- not at all. Not at all. It's just something that I'm I'm always very fascinated in, and I, I just kind of want to elaborate on on what I think the benefits of it could be for the future. And, and it's that, you know, what, what are you and your former and current, um, national team teammates and, and MLS players? Like what, what is the conversation like amongst, uh, that circle or in that circle? And, and, and the reason being is that that's, that's probably going to be the next generation of coaches. It's probably going to be the next generation mm-hmm. of U.S. soccer employees. It's probably going to be the next generation of scouts. And so, the conversations and the ideas that are that are uh, ha- happening there uh, amongst you guys, I think, are very, very important. So, I, I'm, yeah. I'm curious if if 
promotion relegation and, and, and the way that we've kind of talked openly a little bit about the soccer politics, if these are things that you guys actually talk about and, and if you guys yeah, are passionate it, about. No, I think there's a passion there for sure. Now, unfortunately I'm not around these guys and kind of those sitting down at a bar beer moments. You know, usually when I see them, we're, we're working, you know, I'm trying to create some clown nose, clown shoes, YouTube content. And they're, and, and I, yeah, I'll call up, you know, I, I am fully aware of what it is and what I do. And I love doing it. Don't get me wrong. I get to get drunk with fans more often than not. That's you could, you could come up with worse jobs, but, but, but the other guys, you know, they're all suited up. They're, they're preparing for their day. So it's really, in passing where it's pretty rare where we're sitting down and talking about you know, how we're going to solve the big problems um, that we, that we see in U S soccer. So I, I feel like I'm letting you down in some capacity that I don't have uh, as much insight there. Now, when we do speak, or if I do speak to people that are on the grounds that are living it, living the DA status, uh, living the, the, you know, the youth women's game and, and everything that's happening there with DA. And I think ECNL, um, you know, all the politics that are happening there. I mean, that's something we care about too and talk about probably a little bit more because we just think that should be better. Um, that should be a lot more clear in how they're trying to develop players. You know, the way that we grew up, there were no scouts for the most part. You had to be identified through college. That's changed uh, tremendously and in a positive way, but how can we make that better? And that's where I think I get a little frustrated at times. So when I hear from people that are actually living and breathing it every single day. So so that kind of spurs me on to have those types of conversations and ultimately not even talk so much, but just to listen. Um, because that's stuff that I'm not as aware of. I'm not as plugged into it. So I really absorb up, absorb any of that information that comes my way. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to think. I'm honestly trying to harken back to any recent conversations I've had about U.S. soccer. And, you know, nothing's nothing really jumps out at me because everything's been so event-based. It's hard to really sit down and get, you know, get more, you know, five minutes and put these guys. And if we're at like some event, you know, the music's like 3000 decibels and you can't even hear and you're <laughs> screaming at each other and, and everybody's just trying to relax at that point. And just, just chat. So you don't really get into it, but, but uh, I think there's something to be said about getting a whole bunch of us in a room that are not athletes council or any of that stuff. And just kind of talking about how we can shape things because a lot of the guys that I played with are shaping things now. Carlos Bocanegra is at Atlanta. You know, you got Stu and those guys that are obviously being highly influential and, and being a, a mouthpiece for the game on TV. Uh, Taylor as well. And, you know, a lot of my buddies are coaches now. So, yeah, it, it, uh, it is funny to see. And my roommate just got named as the Austin FC coach, Josh Wolf. So yeah, excited nice. for him. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. And you're right. Um, and I think we all try to do it in our small ways. We've all learned certain things along the way. We were the guys that kind of, went from the $24,000 salaries to, to actually making okay money by the end of our careers. And now we're, we're, you know, parlaying that into having different involvement in the game. But yeah, I just don't, I don't talk to those guys as much as I'd like to. And also I'll say this, as I became more prominent in the media, they are a little bit more gun shy to reveal anything to me because I think they think that I'm going to use it um, against them, I guess, in some ways. I mean, we've had some media training so, and been around. So, but I am always very much, if anything, it's just going to help either strengthen my opinion or it's going to help me shed some light on an opinion that I hadn't looked at. Um, and I don't ever throw anybody under the bus that way. It just helps me shape my own opinions. Yeah, I, li I like that you said um, that it gives you an opportunity to listen. You, you mentioned that a couple minutes ago, mm -hmm. like going going, mm -hmm. having these conversations and, and 
and just the, the conversations that you're able to have. I, I think that's important. I think that, that holds a lot of holds a lot of weight with a lot of people because a lot of people, myself included, feel like we have things that we want to say and we want people to listen. And mm-hmm. and having somebody like you that has the experience and um, the insider knowledge of how the system ha- has worked till now um, and being able to express our opinions to somebody like you, I think holds a lot of water, man. So I appreciate well, you. Well, that's for, why for I that. follow you and yeah, I follow you and Gary and, and like-minded people that are, that are in your space that are very eager to be heard and to say, Hey, listen, we're living this and this is what we see. And, and our, our opinion matters. That's why I follow you guys on Twitter because I want to make sure that I do listen and I am paying attention to that. But I appreciate you saying that when I helped out with the Glens. You know, and there was already a coach in place with Javier Ayala, who I think is going to be one of the great young coaches uh, in our country. And I'm very excited to see how he does at USF this upcoming season. I didn't want to come in alpha male anybody. Uh, I knew that though I would have some things to bring to the table that they could learn from, I was probably going to learn more. And so I really appreciated the opportunity to learn from everybody at the Glens um, and the front office and the coaching staff and to learn the process and yeah, so as much as I did some coaching and I, and I did quite a bit of it and Javier was very gracious to let me get in there and run some trainings and, and to have a voice in the whole thing. And I can't think of enough for that. I really just wanted to, to pay attention and take notes and, and really have it let it inform my own thoughts of what I thought was happening at this level to now actually what was happening. So it was a really a uh, watershed moment for me in some ways. And I'm very excited to, to be involved next season to see how we can continue to make it better and provide opportunities for our players that will allow them to really take steps into growing into potentially special players for our, well, MLS and national team, or even if we can move them abroad, you know, whatever situation is the best we want to put our, put our players in, the, in those positions. And, and, you know, to be honest, I try to be as, as, as frank with these players as possible. You know, if you go into MLS, this is what it looks like. If you go to Europe, this is what it looks like. Um, either way is going to be a grind and you have to be up for the fight. You know, everybody's trying to put food on the table and that doesn't change. So it's been interesting. And, and, and to learn about the mentality of the, of the fourth division player, as it were, uh, it's, it's really fascinating to me. I was actually quite surprised by the, I, I, I can't even put my finger on it, John. It's, it's, this is going to sound crazy, but I, I, I tried to tell the story to my friend. And so Thierry Henry, right? He had the Monaco job yeah, and he got, didn't do well and he got fired. And, and as you said, with promotional relegation, yeah, if you can't do the job, you're not good enough, you got to get out. And they, they, I would say, rightfully fired him. And I think his talent is that he's a genius, right? He sees the game on a level that he just, I guess you just expect everybody to, to be on that same level, or at least to be able to see it in a certain way. And I think it was hard for him to communicate, like, why don't you understand what I'm trying to say? <laughs> uh, and, and, and for anybody that coaches, I think everybody can understand that feeling. So Henri gets let go, and my buddy's like, all right, so you're comparing yourself to Thierry Henry? I'm like, absolutely not. What I'm saying is my talent was commitment and hard work. That's my talent. I I know who I am and what I'm about, and I would never fight or never stop fighting and and keep working. That's what I do. That's my talent. So when I went to the fourth division in the Glens, and you were around these guys who I assumed were as hungry as I was to prove myself, and some of them weren't, it was really hard for me. I, I, I couldn't. As, as Henri couldn't relate to some of his players, they couldn't get it. I couldn't relate to guys that just weren't as, that committed. Uh, like I, we had a video one day. Uh, we, or we had a game on a Saturday. I stayed up for three hours, got the game, edited all the po- coaching points, got a nine to ten minute video together. It took me I don't know how long. The next training, only two of my starters showed up. And I just, I just, I honestly don't get it. Like I don't understand. So I would write them emails. Like, what do you guys want out of this? 
we're here for you. We're here to help you guys grow and become better players. And yeah, sure. They've got plenty of excuses that, you know, they're not being paid very much or at all. You know, they have to travel really far. And, and I don't know, I'm just of the mindset. If I had, if I had a chance to be around the quality of coaching staff that we had and around an organization that is trying to put you in a good position to succeed and, and Javier and I are very well connected to coaches all over the country that we could get them opportunities if they showed some promise. And the fact that you wouldn't try to take advantage of that and be a professional and, and show up on time and put the work in. You know, some guys did. It wasn't the whole team, of course, but there was just a few. Like, I don't – you're so talented. I don't understand. Are you trying to build in an excuse for why you didn't succeed? Because that's the only thing I can see is that you're like, oh, well, if I just would have showed up more, I would have made it. You know, I, I've been around plenty of those guys. I'm sure you've been around them too. Um, and now I saw it firsthand, and that was that was hard for me as a coach. Really hard. Is this your anyway, first? I took us a whole, no. a whole different direction. By the way, <laughs> I like it though. I love it. Is this a? Uh, is this? Is this like your first experience um, in this type of a role as a as a coach? And uh, it sounds like kind of like an assistant coach or co head coach with Javi. So yeah, I mean, Javi was definitely the head coach, and he made all the player selections and all that stuff, and and uh, he was driving a lot of it. And I and I'm glad he did because I don't know if I was ready yet to to come in yet and really understand with his year of experience with that age group that he coaches on a regular basis, he had a much better uh, understanding of how it was going to work and how to really relate to these guys. So again, I took a lot of notes on how he was handling a lot of different situations, but yeah, I kind of came in as a technical director. I don't think there's any other technical directors for any USL league two teams. <laughs> that was a nice title for me to have. And I kind of slotted in and, and helped when I could and, and, and tried to coach when I could. It's, it's hard when you know, you can give some information that you think you can help some of these players. So, and as you can tell, I'm, I'm a bit of a talker. So I like to talk. That was another one of my talents, communication, right? That's why I was a good center back for, for a couple of years. But, um, yeah, I, I think, um, man, it was just, in terms of coaching, sorry, get back to your question. I, I, retire, I, I retired with Chivas USA mid-season, and I was still being paid until the end of the year. So I'm like, I'm not a guy that's just going to go home. I, I want to be involved. I want to help the team. So Robin Frazier and Greg Vanny were the coaches at the time, and uh, they let me basically let me run the second team which was great. So I coached against uh, uh, Brian Schmetzer, who coaches the Sounders now, and Ziggy was the head coach of the Sounders because there was the reserve league at the time. And, you know, I had a, I remember having a run-in with uh, Jorge Villafania, who, who represented the U.S. Uh, in a World Cup. Uh, or did he? Did he, go to the, did he go to 14? I don't know if he went to 14. I don't think anyway, so. he's been the national team. No, I don't think he went. Wow. So before he, you know, really started to become prominent, you know, him and I got into it during a game once where I called him out and he wasn't happy about it. And I said, dude, what are you doing? Why are you call? You know, you shouldn't. So we went through that whole process. I mean, I know I'm your teammate, but I'm not really your teammate anymore. So we kind of worked through all that. And so all that stuff was really good for me. You know, having to coach Juan Pablo on hell when he was hurt and getting him back into health and great experience. You know, I coached a lot of youth clubs when I was in Kansas City because in San Jose, because I had to supplement my income. You know, that's just how it was in the real life of and some of these players still have to do that. So yeah, I've coached for many years, and obviously, when you're captain of the team, you know you're you're coaching, you're your proxy of the coach, and uh, you know there's a lot of that going on already. You're already a leader in some ways, and your communication matters. So yeah, I feel like I've got enough of the tools in my tool belt to be an adequate coach, but obviously, there's still a lot to learn. Yeah, I'm thinking back to what you said about the the communication aspect and not being able to communicate the ideas to that are in your head and, and getting the players to understand them the way that that you do. And and obviously you you referenced Thierry Henry, but I think to some degree a lot of coaches, especially youth soccer coaches, experience that because they learn something 
whether it's like like through our online course that we offer or, or mm-hmm. a YouTube video, and, and it makes sense in, in the coach's head, but it doesn't make sense to the to the ten year old or the twelve year old that you're that you're trying to teach it to. They're not seeing the pictures that you saw on your computer or you saw in your book. Right. They're 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 seeing you explain them with words uh, coming out right. of your mouth, and so right. that communication aspect is is super interesting to me. It's something. You, we probably haven't talked about enough on this podcast. This is a coaching podcast and and I can't believe we haven't talked enough about that. So, (laughs) well, I'll say one of the biggest things too, that I learned as a coach was I could be saying the same thing to 20 people and they're all going to absorb the information in different ways. No, I'm a, I'm a dad. I've got two kids. So I, I understand that to a certain extent, but you'd think based on the amount of experience that I think these players have, or what I thought they should have, that I should be able to say something and, and most of them should be able to get it. But you learn quite quickly that either they weren't paying attention or they think they already have it all figured out or whatever it is. And it's, it's really interesting to kind of break through these little walls and to get to know the guys. And I think ultimately as you get into the kind of the, the coaching at the higher levels and the pro levels, you have to get to know, you have to get to know the player as a person. Uh, and I, th- I think, we, well, we could probably argue that would probably help even at the youngest ages, you know, what, what, what do they like about the game? Why, why are they playing it? You know, wh- wh- got to tap into that motivation. And, and to be honest, when I was a defender, one of the key things that I would do is I would watch a video of the, the tacking players I was going to play that weekend. And I would just look at what they like to do. Where do they like to pick up the ball? And if they get into a situation where they're squaring up on somebody one-on-one, where do they like to take it? You know, are they always looking for that quick shot where they're trying to, you know, set up that curler back post or whatever it is. And I would just try to take away what I then figured out where their three favorite things to do in a game. And more often than not, I'd frustrate the shit out of these guys because I took away what, why they enjoyed to play. And, uh, and I loved it. That's what, that's what fired me up. So, so, you know, I think there's something about that, that if you can tap into why players are actually playing, you know, some players play cause it, there's some girl on the girls team that they really want them to like them and whatever, I mean, whatever the motivation is. Um, and then you can foster that in a positive way and hopefully get the most out of these players. But I think that even stems from, you know, at the youngest ages. Um, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough at the like four to eight year old range, which is why I'm a big fan <laughs> of Tom Byer. I'm a big Tom Byer fan because I think he keeps it fun. I think he keeps it simple. And, and I think he puts things in place, plants these seeds of how to have success. And, and really, I think the hidden thing with his thing, I don't know how familiar your audience is with Tom Byer. Very. But Okay, good. So, so I don't know if he gets into it so much, but what I think is really important about the pullback and the stuff that he, that he works on these little movements is the weight distribution and getting your body and your muscle memory very comfortable with shifting from left to right and right to left. And I don't think that gets talked about enough because that movement is really important in terms of how you play and how you create your balance and how you can hold off maybe an attacker as you get older or how you can cut on a dime and still accelerate out of that cut. He's, he's putting all those things in place at a young age so that you don't even think about it anymore. And your body already knows how to move. And that is super important. And I think that's why his stuff is uh, as, as successful as it is. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned his name. I actually just reached out to Tom this morning. Him and I have a and, – and, and to, uh, to double down on what I said earlier about people messaging me about you and saying positive things about you, Tom is actually one of those people that reached out to me about you. He saw me take a jab at you one time, and, <laughs> and he said, John, you got to understand that Jimmy's doing good work, and, and he's a good person. So – and I was like, I, I believe you, Tom. I just want a chance to talk to him myself. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I've sold myself enough already on this interview. But uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate Tom saying that. Him and I have had many conversations 
both on camera and behind the scenes. And I still can't emphasize enough my frustration that U.S. soccer and or MLS doesn't hire him on a full-time basis in some ways. I think he's a, a great ambassador for the sport. And I think it's a real shame that he's his skill set and tools and enthusiasm and love and passion for it are being used in different places around the world when we could use it here. Yeah. Um, yeah, our, my, my audience is, is real familiar with Tom. I've had him on twice. Um, and, and I know he just released his new book. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get him back on the show to talk about the new edition of the book and, and have a, and just get an update. I haven't talked to him on, on the podcast for a couple of years. So hopefully soon. Um, yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, real quick before, before I want, I, I obviously want you to plug everything that, that you're doing, but I need to ask you a question that I end every interview with. It's a very, sure. va- it's a very vague question and feel free to, to, <laughs> to take it and, and answer it however you see fit. Um, okay. the question is what do people need to know? And, and you have a lot of experience, um, many, many, from, from many different angles. You could tackle that question from many different angles. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, with ev- with everything that we've talked about today, with uh, the audience being kind of in tune with with some of the things that that we've talked about today, what what do people need to know? I would say first and foremost, and maybe I'll attack this chronologically. For any young players or coaches that that coach young players, they always wanted to know, and they'd always go up to my dad. These other parents, they go up to my dad. Hey, how did Jimmy make it? How did he get there? And, my dad's like, he just worked harder than everybody else. And there are no shortcuts. I have a great story where at age 14 or 15, Marcelo Balboa's dad was at a youth tournament that we were at. And my coach just happened to, was an acquaintance or casually knew him or whatever it is. He's like, hey, Louie, please come over and talk to my team. You can just see Louie going like, oh my God, it's like the 75th team I've had to talk to today. But he comes <laughs> over and he's great, very gracious with his time. And I, and I had one question, raised my hand. I said, hey, Louis, how did Marcelo play on the World Cup team? You know, I mean, he, like, just like you asked me this question, he could answer that 15, 115 different ways, whatever it is. And he said he just went to the park and worked on his game every day for two hours. That was it. That was his answer. But for me, it was a pivotal moment in my life because I then realized it was up to me to decide how good I was going to be at this game. And I went out to the school near my house. There's a nice wall there where the kids play handball, whatever. And I thought I was pretty good. You know, you, you know, you kind of always kind of think you're pretty good. I oh, my left foot's okay. Whatever it is. I go out there. I can't juggle or shit. You know, I got like five, maybe I can do, maybe I can do five and four of them are on my thigh. You know, when you do the juggle thighs, it doesn't really <laughs> count, you know, but that's kind of where I was. And I was so bad and I was so ashamed that after 10 minutes I went home because it was easier to play video games. It was easier to live vicariously through that than to really go out there and test myself. But in fairness to me, I went back out there the next day and just fought through it. And slowly I started to get better. And once you get a little taste of, hey, wait a second, this game's becoming a little bit easier for me. And I go out to practice with my own team and I'm getting a little bit better than the better players. And nobody knows why or how I'm doing it man, it becomes a full-blown drug. And so all that, <laughs> that, that 10 minutes turned into 15, 15 turned into a half hour to 45 to an hour to an hour and a half. My mom would have to come to the school to come bring me home. And then you, you start thinking, okay, well, this is helping me on my game. What else, where else can I get better at? So I started to run a little bit more. I started to lift weights. You, you just start to really like, there's no way anybody's going to beat me because I'm the only one that can hold me back. 
And once you start to understand that, man, it just changes everything. So that was a really big moment for me, which ultimately gets back to there are no shortcuts. Um, you know, there were plenty of times where I could have listened to the coaches that said I wouldn't amount to anything. I had that said to my face that I would never play pro. I played for 12 years. I was captain of the national team. I played in the World Cup. They could eat it. You know, that's what I can say to them in return. And that was because I, I was going to figure out a way to get there. And even though I got a cap at 28, my first cap, I played 27 times for the team. Um, you know, those are, these are things I can hold my hat on and then nobody can take away from me. And it's an incredible feeling. So again, it gets back to, there are no shortcuts for now. You know, what are, what are things that people should know? Despite the frustration of where people may be at with regard to how the game is growing in this country, it is growing in this country, maybe even despite ourselves, because there's a thirst for making this game great here. There's a thirst to doing the right things and, and, and trying to shape something that, again, I hope, I'd like to think, at least from you and I's perspective, John, that is inclusive as opposed to exclusive. I think we're just in this era of the growth of MLS where we have to kind of suck it up at the moment and work through it, continue to fight for what we think is the right way to go moving forward, and hopefully the people that are in charge or the next wave of people that are in charge see the same things that we're seeing and try to put things in place to make that happen. Uh, I don't want anybody to be quiet. I want everybody to be themselves. If they have, you know, a voice and an opinion and they've lived it and they have something to say, then they should go out and say it and, and stand up for what they believe in. And, and I'm a firm believer in that. So yes, I, I share a lot of the same frustrations that everybody else does. I want to see this game grow and I want to see it grow in a way that feels fair. Uh, life isn't fair sometimes, but, but, uh, I think this is something that we can together, you know, figure out a way to, to get the best out of this sport. And I feel like I'm running for office here when I say this, but, <laughs> but, but like, I just feel like there are a lot of good people doing a lot of good things, even at us soccer and MLS. We just have to continue to make sure that they feel confident enough to continue to push in that direction. Because I think there are a lot of good things that are waiting for us. We just kind of have to work through this and maybe, and I hope maybe in you know, 40, 50 years, we look back going, all right, that maybe wasn't how we wanted it at that time, but maybe that's just where it needed to be at that time so that we could get to the next spot, you know, and I was part of the collective bargaining agreement for the U S or excuse me, MLS players union, you know, and ultimately the collective bargaining agreement that we set up, we try to put things in place where the next generation could stand on our shoulders for the next one and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I'd like to think that that needs to be put in place now. Uh, and, and there are things being put in place now. Now we have so many new stadiums. There's a lot of good things, you know, um, I know Don Garber gets a lot of heat, you know, under his watch has been a lot of growth. Um, whether, you know, people want to accept that or not, you know, or even if it, you think it's not, he, it was going to happen regardless of whether he was there. That's more than possible. But, but uh, he's the guy that's in charge, and we have a lot of good things because of that. And now we just, I think we all just want to see it being shaped in a certain direction, which gets me back to my earlier point of where is this going? I, I want to just want to have a plan so we can all work towards that. And it just feels like we have too many different people on too many different pages, and, and we're working against each other as opposed to working. Uh, with each other and that's a shame and i hope that changes soon dude i i am ecstatic about this interview i think it turned out great and i, I appreciate every second that you've given me um i want to make sure that that people are able to connect with you and, and continue to to follow your work and and learn from you i think that you a lot of your your work is uh not only entertaining but it's, it's also it's also just good content that people should be consuming and i think that they can learn a lot about you and and yeah just just different things about the sport so where can people connect with you 
I appreciate that. I don't know how much I owe you for saying that. I, uh, <laughs> they can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jimmy Conrad. And then on, on YouTube uh, and Twitch, Jimmy Conrad. I do a lot of second screen experience. So if you want to watch a big game with me, you're more than welcome to do that uh, live. And then on YouTube, it's the Jimmy Conrad. I just signed a deal. I'm working with La Liga all season. So I'm very excited to be working with them and trying to help grow their league in the U.S. and be able to tell their stories. So that's been a big thrill for me. I'm an ambassador for AT&T, so I do a lot of their signature events with MLS and the U.S. Men's National Team. I'll be in New York for the U.S.-Mexico game. And and it, it's been a big thrill for me to be involved with a whole bunch of different stuff, uh, to be able to, to share stories in a fun way. I, I definitely come at it maybe in a little bit more lighthearted way, but that uh, shouldn't change the fact that I'm super passionate about the game in this country and, and how I can help it grow. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.